Hey everyone, it's Haley, your host of the Sunshine Signal podcast. We are a community of change-making, purpose-driven, and heart-centered young women guided by our mission to become the best versions of ourselves. Each episode, we dive deep on self-improvement tools to facilitate your growth, entrepreneurship, holistic health and nutrition, spirituality, life lessons, astrology, and so much more. Get ready to tune in to shine out. Let's dive in. Welcome back, everyone. I'm so excited to have you here and to finally be sharing this episode. Honestly, this episode is so special to me because Kristen Lindsay from Almost 30 have been such inspirations to me from the very beginning of this podcast. Um, I've been listening to their podcast for about four years. I found it during my freshman year of high school and I really loved what they were doing. They talk all about evolution, personal growth, really real and authentic conversations, and they really inspired me to do something similar but for our age group. And they absolutely loved coming on the podcast and getting to speak to all of you, really, um, being able to share messages from you know, some two people who are just a little bit older than us who have been through high school, college, and their 20s and really know how to navigate all of those experiences, especially because they have had so many incredible conversations on their own podcasts, um, which is all about personal growth and evolution and being authentic. So today we're really answering a lot of questions that I've always wanted to know the answer to. And these conversations are around things like, how do you actually love yourself? Like, what does self-love really mean? How do we implement it? We also talked a little bit about decision-making and how to give yourself grace and how to work through indecision and, you know, making choices for your future self and really creating a path and a life that works best for you. So today's conversation is not only so special because of the people who were on it, Krista and Lindsay, but I think it's just the message and you'll be able to tell just from listening, but the vulnerability and the truth behind each of them just sharing exactly what they'd experienced and their advice, it's so impactful and I really hope it resonates with you. So I'll see you on the other side. If you love today's episode, please leave a review on Spotify or Apple or even just share with a friend. This is a perfect podcast to send to any friend, any young woman really, because we're all experiencing you know, similar things and we're all just trying to grow and become better. So I hope you enjoy and I'll see you on the other side. Hello everyone and welcome back to the Sunshine Signal podcast. Today I am so excited to have Krista and Lindsay from Almost 30 with me today. They are the hugest inspiration ever. Such incredible, beautiful women doing inspiring things. So welcome Krista and Lindsay. Thanks so much for having us. We're honored to be here. Um, I really, I, I love your show and I love that you're speaking to women that are younger than us because we <laughs> certainly wish we would have had kind of that like big sis mentor vibes and the resources that you all do now. Yeah. Grateful to be here. It's exciting. Anytime we've talked, anytime we've talked to people that are any bit younger than us. It just feels so refreshing and inspiring. We've been so inspired by conversations we've had with high schoolers, even college students. We did a little college tour and I'm so impressed with what you all are doing, how you're approaching life 
And I'm excited to share any bits of wisdom that we may have from, you know, being a little bit outside of your age range. (laughs) Totally. Yes. And it's exactly that mentorship that I think a lot of girls my age are craving. We're like, how do you navigate life right now? Um, These ages, you know, high school, college, early 20s, even mid 20s, it's a lot. It's overwhelming. There's a lot changing, but it's also super exciting. So I know everyone tuning in will be very excited to receive all the wisdom that's going to come from this conversation, but I thought it would be fun just to start out by both of you sharing a little bit what you were like when you were 18, which I'm sure is very different from the people you are now. But if you want to take us in a little time machine back to your late teen years, early 20s, and just kind of share like where you were in life, what were your passions? What were you struggling with? Just give us a little snapshot. Are you in college when you're 18? Yeah. So are you in high- some people are, some people aren't depending. Exactly. Yeah. It's like okay. senior year, college, anything okay. in that, that general range. Okay. So when I was 18, I think I was, yeah, either a, a senior or um, in college. And I was with my first love, my first love that was just everything to me at that time that I dated in my senior year and then my first year of college. And so that was pretty much most of my life was like just anything that had to do with that first love relationship. And I think if you've ever had a first love, you know, you really know what that's like, where you just are completely obsessed and dedicated to them. So I decided to go to college at a place that was close by to my house to so that we could be together. And um, that was a huge period for me in my life. I think Besides this moment that I'm in right now, it was probably the most transformational. Uh, My parents separated after being married for 30 years and we um, sold our house that I grew up in. And then we had to figure out where I was going to live, where my sister was going to live. My grandmother, who was my favorite person, passed. I got arrested for drinking underage. It was just a wild, wild time. My boyfriend that I loved broke up with me. So it was probably one of the hardest years of my life, but some of the most transformational and powerful. And I was someone that was very, very um, eager to change my life or become the person that I was, but I didn't really know how to do that. So I tried to find myself in other people and relationships like my first love or like my best friend at that time. And I was really just kind of trying to figure things out. I was like, do people like me more if I'm like this? Do people like me more if I'm like this? What if I'm like this? So while going through times that were really full of grief and full of pain, I was really just trying to find my joy and my happiness in others rather than in myself. So I wasn't really self-lovey. I didn't really know how to love myself. I didn't really understand how to love myself. I didn't know how to support myself. I didn't know how to rest. I didn't really know much of anything for functioning in life as like a competent whole being. Um, But the hard moments really prepared me, you know, in my life for building my strength and building my confidence and building my character. But if I could go and talk to that 18 year old self, I would just give her so many different resources and information on how she can support herself and feeling more whole and feeling more like herself and not reaching so far outside of her for all the things that I have and had inside of me. I love that so much. And I'm excited to hear what some of those resources were and are for you later on in this episode. But I think a lot of people, including myself, I can relate to that. Like it's really hard when you're trying to figure out who you are and like what your values are. And it's really easy to find validation and to feel loved from other people. So it it like takes a second and more than a second. It takes years, I think, just to fully learn that 
your worth and your love like comes from yourself first and then second from other people. Um, but I love that Krista. Thank you. And I will just say on that, I don't think I had any models for anybody that was doing that. I don't remember seeing any person in my life as an example who was self-sourcing their love. Mm -hmm. I only saw people that were getting love and validation on the outside, whether it was through achievement or how you looked or, you know, how much people liked you. So it wasn't really something that people even really talked about. They would say, love yourself, but they wouldn't really understand. Like there was never a true understanding of how you love yourself or what it means to love yourself through boundaries or through building self-trust. And so I'm really grateful that now it's a conversation where people actually have tactical ways to do that or understand that. And people now have examples because I personally living in Ohio in a small town, don't feel like I saw anyone that really truly loved themselves for anything else, but just because they existed. Totally. Yes. And even in high school, I mean, you're around a bunch of insecure, honestly, everybody's insecure. You're around a ton and even college, you're around people your age who are all trying to figure that out. So even if you do have a parent, you're around these other people who are also trying to figure all this out for eight hours a day, your majority of the day. So I completely understand that. And Lindsay, what about you? What were you like? At 18, uh, I turned 18 at the top of my senior year of high school. And like Krista, I was with like my first real love, my first serious boyfriend. And I was fully, fully immersed in that relationship. I also lost my virginity that year, Um, which I think, you know, if I'm, I don't, everyone's story about losing their virginity is different, but if I really think back to that time, like there's so much happening hormonally and chemically, and there's an attachment to this person that I think for me, I felt safe with him, you know, obviously, you know, having that experience with him is like very special and important in a way. And so when it came to us deciding that we were going to go to different schools for college, it was really hard. I was like, I I thought I would be okay. And we could just kind of smoothly do it. But I was so sad. I just remember being on the phone for like hours, just like crying, like not saying anything, just like crying and like falling asleep with the phone next to my head. Um, I'm sure many of us have had like those nights where we're just like (laughs) on the phone, not saying anything. So it was, it was a lot of that, but it was also just this like very interesting liminal space between my high school years, which were very up and down. I was at a small all girls, private Catholic school. Um, and then going off to college, not knowing what to expect truly. Like, I don't feel as though I was prepared fully for the college experience, both academically, socially, how to balance, how to manage. So I had a lot of anxiety just around this transition excitement, but also a lot of anxiety. So I think in order to kind of numb out from that, like I was definitely partying with friends my senior year with my boyfriend and just kind of using it as like this last hurrah celebration and avoiding really getting real about what the next four years in college really meant. Um, And I do specifically remember being at my high school graduation party and feeling and thinking to myself, like, what else can I know? Like, I feel just like, 
on top of the world like you know it all I just feel like I know most things like what else can I learn like how could I grow even more become even smarter more evolved like at 18 lol so um I definitely had that aspect to me where I'm like what else could happen but a whole lot did that's so funny. And I've definitely had those moments too, where it's it's a little bit of an ego check where you're like, no, I know everything. I'm good. I'm sad. But I'm curious for both of you, do you feel like you honored yourself and made the best decision for you at the time by choosing to go to college? Because I know a conversation that I've been having with a lot of people in my life recently as a senior and as someone with lots of different options on the table for the future, it's like college is the standard. It's kind of like the program path that people go down. But do you feel like in that moment, it was just the next thing? So that's why you did it? Or were you slightly more conscious about making a decision as to like why you were going? I would say that it's interesting because I think I was just completely going because that was the path. You know, where I grew up, there wasn't much of a path outside of going to college and then getting whatever job, you know, Mm -hmm. I took the first job that that would have me and it ended up being perfect for me, but I had no really conscious awareness of what college was going to do for me or how it was going to benefit me or how I could really utilize it. So for me, I didn't, I got, I didn't get much out of my college experience all for reasons that are my fault, you know, for me not taking advantage of classes or community groups or organizations I was really unfulfilled in college. I didn't feel like I was stimulated. I didn't really love what I was doing. I didn't really love the people I was around. And it maybe from the outside seemed like I was super happy and I did have really good moments. It really wasn't worth it for me for the price that I invested. But if I would have known what I was doing and I would have chosen like a path that made sense, it probably would have been better. But I think for people that are younger and really thinking about college, I would maybe do a gap year. Like I really love that. In countries outside of the U.S., they allow or they encourage people to do gap years to really give themselves a chance to develop and to understand why they're spending all this money. You know, in the United States, the um, student loan programs are the only loans that are given to people under age of consent. So you can sign a loan for hundreds of thousands of dollars that will never be forgiven. That is always a part of your credit history before you even really know what you're doing or how you're getting into things. And so if you're especially paying for college on your own, it's something to be very seriously thinking about. You know, if your first job out of college, you're making 40,000, 50,000, however much, and your loans are hundreds of thousands of dollars and you're living in a big city, it's really challenging to pay off those loans. So it's a really huge thing to, to take on if you're going to be thinking about the rest of your life. So what I would say is that Um, My degree was in communications, mass communications and sociology, which actually really worked for me. You know, I was studying to be a news anchor. I wanted to be a sports news anchor, um, which is kind of a little bit what I do right now, which is media and hosting. But I would have never, I don't think anything I was learning applied, but I think my soul had an idea of what it wanted to do and was trying to figure out how to express it in that space. So I think there's no wrong reason. There's no wrong path. Whatever you choose will be what's perfect for you. But I would think creatively about how you can get the education or the expertise outside of college. Because if I could go back, I probably wouldn't go to college. I probably would go down a path of deeper creativity and exploration in travel or in something that feels more aligned and felt more aligned to the person that I was seeking to be rather than what I thought I should be. I love that. 
Lindsay, what about you? Yeah, I agree um, on so many points. I think college for me was an incredible like social learning experiment, you know, where I learned a lot about myself and other people. But like Krista said, you know, I think for me, the difference is that I did know what I wanted to do at the time. I wanted to be an actress. I wanted to be a performer. And the college that I chose, though they had an incredible theater department at the time, I think truly what would have served me better was to go to a conservatory. And I applied to a conservatory and I had options, thankfully, but I actually ended up doing the liberal arts thing because that was kind of like, that was something in the zeitgeist of like, get a liberal arts education, you know, have that fallback plan. But if I'm being very real, you know, college was incredibly expensive and I'm not really sure academically how it helped me. I learned things right along the way, but you know, I wasn't in the business school learning, you know, kind of on track to become an economist, or I wasn't in, um, you know, the nursing school to become a nurse. Like it was kind of loosey goosey in that way for me. And I do wish I would have gone back. If I could go back, I would specialize, you know, I would be in a conservatory setting. I would make it my life. Um, though I would be at a different place in my life now. And I don't regret where I am. I just think that that would have served me much, much better because the distractions of college liberal arts school is so real, so, so real. And at the time I wasn't doing well with distractions. I couldn't really manage. Should I choose between going to an extra rehearsal for this or going to party with so-and-so, you know? So yeah, I would, I would have definitely done it different, but I'm, I'm thankful. I feel like kids these days have the wherewithal and, and more options. And it's a little bit more acceptable to take a different path, which I really, really love. Yes. I love both of your answers to that because even when I, I did apply to some colleges, I was looking at it as a path still it's open. That's one route that I could go down, but I was looking at programs that were really specific to things that I wanted to learn. And because there are so many liberal arts schools that I have friends at who are older than me who graduated recently or are still in it. And they're like, well, I kind of changed my major three times. And now I don't really know why I'm still there and why I'm paying this huge amount of money per year to be there when a lot of it, honestly, that they've expressed to me is like, it's life school in a lot of ways. Like you're learning about relationships. You're learning about yourself. You're learning how to manage all those distractions. Like you were saying, Lindsay, like it's more about, learning how to live in this kind of bubble of people your age and this, you know, it is kind of a weird situation that you'll never get to live in again in the natural world. But yeah, it is a decision that I think should be thought about. And I do appreciate that there are so many other options for people my age now. And it is more acceptable to take a gap year and to travel and to do all of those amazing things. I was just going to say on the point that you said, you know, you you learn so much socially, kind of like life school or college. And I would also encourage, you know, people who are choosing to go to college to also, you know, explore ways in which they can learn about the aspects of life that kind of meet you after college. And that for me was like handling my finances. What does it look like? Like when you rent an apartment, you know, kind of these 
unsexy parts of life, I was never really taught about. And I had to learn the hard way and I made a lot of mistakes. So, you know, if you can invest in whether it's like an online course or even just YouTube, YouTube, you know, these unsexy life things and learn as much as you can investing. How do you keep your credit score high? How do you, you know, all of these things that you do not think about that much in college. Most people don't, it kind of hits you after college and then you're scrambling to figure out. So that's what I would recommend just on like some of the other aspects of, of life that college really doesn't teach you. Such a helpful tip. Yeah. And it's like those practical things that you would hope someone would teach you that you never really get taught. And then also that emotional side that we were talking about earlier, like how do you have a good sleep schedule? How do you check in with yourself? How do you know what you want? It's like all those things school doesn't really teach you. So unless you're seeking out those resources actively when you're younger, it's like you're kind of just put into college or put into post-grad life. And it's like, okay, how do I live? How do I function? And not just function, but like, how do you function optimally? Yeah. I think in the college situation, you know, if we think about from a young age, we're put in the school machine (laughs) where you're kind of sitting, you're learning about what they tell you to learn about. You are just following the rules and that's sort of the better you follow the rules, the better you achieve. And then in college, it's like, like Lindsay said, I was going to even say something similar. We don't really learn about life. Like I didn't learn, I was taking French classes. I was taking, you know, all of these kind of liberal arts classes, which actually don't really apply to my life. I guess I was learning how to learn. I didn't really learn even how to study. And I'm not even, again, I'm not, not taking responsibility, but it is just a continuation of this like false sense of life where you're just kind of producing and you're focused on studying and getting a good grade, but not actually on the other parts of the human experience. And so you kind of go hyper the other way where you're just partying and you're being social and you're hanging out with people, but that's not really how healthy relationships work. You know, I didn't see many people having healthy relationships, whether it was romantic and friends during that time. I think age is a big part of it, but it's like a, it's like a formulated bubble that I don't think is really even helpful or healthy. You know, I think there's healthier Mm -hmm. ways for us to really teach or help people become adults or become people that can own and be in charge of their life. Totally. And I know everybody listening to this, we've had some other guests come on and talk about similar things, but it's like the system is very broken in a lot of ways. So when you're kind of spit out at 23 into the real world, it's exactly like you just said of how it is such a dysfunctional system that really doesn't prepare you well for the life that you really want to live. And I think something else that would just be interesting to touch on too, is just for anybody who does feel like they made a wrong decision you know, there really is no such thing as right or wrong, like we were saying, but someone who's like, oh my God, I really wish I didn't go to college here, or I really wish that I hadn't taken this job or I hadn't moved here, or someone who's even just stuck in indecision, like someone who has so many options on their plate, what do you have to say around decision-making and knowing what's right for you? Because there's so much noise, especially at this age of people saying you should go here and you should do this, or you should try that. And it's like, how do you really tune in to like, what's right for you? Yeah, this is such a good question and a feeling that I remember so deeply. I think there's a misconception about time between the ages, you know, your teen years into your mid twenties. 
and that misconception is that you must make a decision now and it should be as close to the final decision as possible or you don't have to you know or you don't have time to linger or pause this or put it off and that's just not true if you are someone who's in your teens into your mid 20s even late 20s there is time to pivot i would say your whole life honestly you can pivot at any time but truly at this age there is time to pivot and there's time to pause you know, I, I want to honor anyone who feels like they don't have the flexibility to pause. And I, I hear you on that, but that could even mean just giving yourself a week to not feel the pressure to make the right decision, but rather to be in your feelings about this, these particular options and really tap into what feels good for you. And I think what's tricky is that at that age, and I remember this so vividly, I would just outsource my intuition to anyone, to my parents, to anyone older or more experienced than me. And while that has some value at times, we really know earlier on than we think what is best for us. And if we can work that relationship with ourselves, early, the better off will be. And like you said, no decision is a mistake. It's just, it's a direction, right? It's, it's a direction and your path, my path has zigzagged so much and it hasn't made sense to a lot of people, but I've just followed what has felt good. And then when something hasn't felt good, I've pivoted. So, you know, all that to say that you can trust yourself a lot more than you do. And you don't have to rush into a decision because you feel like there's no time because you're losing time because you're getting older. The fact is you're still incredibly young and there's a lot of opportunity to change your career, change the direction you're going in. But if you don't allow yourself to fully feel where you're at, it'll be really hard to decide what's next. So valuable. Yes. I love that. Krista, do you have anything to add? Yeah. I think during that time, you know, most of the, the decisions you're making are based on outside influence. Um, and Lindsay and I were lucky, or I don't know, lucky is the word, but we were in a different experience because we didn't have social media. You know, when I was a freshman, Facebook was just getting started. So we didn't have the influence of other people's opinions in the way that you all have. So it's a totally different ball game where you have the beautiful opportunity to see other people doing things that are different, living their lives in the way that feel, feel good. But you also have so many other opinions and perspectives that can really, really make things challenging, really, really make choosing your own path and being in your own, um, being in your own purpose a little bit different. And so I think I was just someone that was sort of following what seemed to be the most aligned. My soul knew what it was doing, but I was just kind of following paths that were laid out for me. Um, as much as I could. So what I would say is that as much as you can tune it out and turn off social media, be in your own energy and be in your own frequency. And what I think would be helpful is that you could ask people you love, friends and family to not tell you what to do or to um, tell you where to go or who to be, but to tell you what you're good at and to tell you about your strengths and to tell you about what naturally, what comes naturally to you. 
And this can really help support decisions that you make on your path, because then you can have reflected back to you what may seem natural or what may be natural for you without like the pigeonhole of do this thing. Because I remember being like, my family was like, you're so friendly and good at conversation. You should be a pharmaceutical sales rep. <laughs> so I was like, okay, I'm going to be a pharmaceutical sales rep. Like for a little bit, that's what I was like, that's what I was going to do. But instead it's like starting with like, these are what you're naturally good at. You're a great conversationalist. You're very confident, whatever. Now you figure out based on like what I'm seeing in you. So I think that could be something that could tactically be helpful for people um, is to be in relationship with people where we can ask them what your skills and abilities are so that can help guide your path. That's so helpful too, because I think there are so many people in our lives that genuinely want to help us, but they think that by helping us, it's telling us exactly what that thing is or what we should be doing and what we shouldn't be doing. And instead it is so much more valuable just to, you know, even to have someone just sit with you and say, Hey, this is how I'm feeling right now. Can you just listen? Or can you tell me like what you were saying? Some qualities about me that you think would be really strong or, you know, exactly what Krista said, just on kind of using them as a reflector to kind of shine back to you, like what other people see in you and what those strong qualities are. And instead of someone trying to tell you exactly what your path should look like. And then I'm also curious too, because I know both of you love human design and it's such a helpful resource, but do you ever use your authority type to make decisions? And if so, what is that? Oh yeah. It's a big one. Uh, mine is emotional authority. Um, and so I'm constantly riding a wave. Um, and so I have to wait until I come back to a more like neutral place because oftentimes I want to make decisions from like the heightened state of emotion and it's really <laughs> not the way for me. Um, but I also have to honor the wave. You know, I I've, I've like had some shame around the wave. Um, Krista calls it my Gemini moon, but I think it's my wave and it's actually like a beautiful part of like kind of how I process things and navigate things I've come to realize. And it usually passes quicker if I'm able to recognize it's happening and just kind of feel it and not feel the need to make any decisions from that place. And then I'll come to a more neutral place and I'll feel totally different. Sometimes the decision will be the same, but it come with, comes with a different intention or sometimes the decision will be completely different. So, you know, that makes decision-making kind of a process. I, I can't just know right away. Like I kind of have to feel through it, but knowing that has been so, so valuable. So anyone who's getting into human design, make sure to check out your authority and what that means. Krista has a different authority than me, but it's super helpful that we're kind of partners and have different authorities. That's so cool. Yeah. I'm instinctive intuition and, um, mine is just, yeah, it's my favorite thing about my life. It's just, I have such clarity on my intuition with what it wants that it doesn't even feel like there's any other choice in my life or the way that I work. You know, when something is clear, it's, it's not always, you know, I've definitely someone that pushes without clarity. That's for sure. But things just come to me, you know, ideas, perspectives, insights just come to me. And it just is something that, you know, I, I'm so grateful to work with. So I think knowing my human design and having Jenna on, you know, five years ago, 
for our first conversations was really liberating for me to trust in my intuition. And now it's something that I use much more, I'd say with other people, with my friends or with people that I'm in contact or conversation with and just leveraging the gift of sight for myself and mostly for them, being able to see for people what maybe they cannot see, what they maybe are missing in their life to support them in their business. Um, you know, Jenna, as an example, one of my dear friends, the app idea was something that I thought of for her and she was able to execute it to a degree that is unparalleled and unmatched in the most beautiful way possible. But it's like, how can I support with my gifts of intuition and sight to help my friends and people that I love maybe see opportunities or things that they didn't see before? Wow. Okay. So many thoughts on that, but Lindsay, I'm also an emotional authority. So I completely feel you on that wave and it's a process. I'm still learning to give myself grace. And then Krista too, a also love Jenna Zoe. She's phenomenal. Highly recommend everybody checking out her app. And that's so cool that you gave her that idea because it's beautiful. I use it all the time. And I was just listening to her podcast this morning, but yeah, it's such a great resource. Astrology is great too. Just any other system I feel like to help you better understand yourself especially in these years when you might be feeling confused and you want to know how you best function or how you best make decisions that's been really helpful for me just to know how I'm naturally wired to do things yeah I think when you're at the ages that your listeners are and when you're younger it's like you really don't have a clear sense of self you know your sense of self is mostly derived from the environment that you grew up or friends around you, you know, most of us like kind of morph and mold to the friends we're with or the relationships that we're in or what our parents did. And so having this understanding through human design or astrology or gene keys, whatever it is of who you are is really, really helpful and kind of breaking out of the mold of what maybe people are telling you are so you can understand yourself more deeply. But what I would say is that being someone that's a little bit older, it's like, now I don't really use those as much. Like I love them and I understand them and I know them way more than probably most people just because of what I do. But once you have an understanding of yourself in a deep and intimate way, and you really, really can see yourself through multiple situations and scenarios and relationships and um, places and spaces, you don't need the tools as much to define who you are because you've defined who you are through experience. And so it's powerful while you're developing, but I think you kind of let it go at some point where you're like, oh yeah, I can be this, but also I'm not, you know, it doesn't become like the end all be all. That's really fascinating too, about that evolution. Did most of that happen from your twenties to your thirties then? Yeah, I would say like, but when I was in my, I'm trying to think in my twenties and thirties, I didn't really have, there wasn't these kind of tools. There was astrology, human design, we got to know probably in our later 20s. So I didn't really have things to define myself as much from my as identity markers as like people do now where there's a lot more tools and resources. And even, um, you know, like when we're thinking about therapy or people that, you know, like Dr. Nicole LaPera or people that like Nedra Twab that are sharing about therapy online, you can also define yourself as anxious attachment, you know, codependent or all these things. So we didn't have as many of those type of identifiers when we were younger. So I think the way that I would try and define myself would probably be through my job, through my achievements, through how I looked, through the friends that I was friends with, and less so things like that. So neither is better or worse, but I'm grateful that, you know, I have a better relationship with those tools now where I know as much as I need to know to help me, but I kind of let go of the rest so that it's not like putting me in a box. 
So interesting. And then on that same note too, of those insecurities, I guess, are you seeking worth in your job or how much money you make or who you're hanging out with or what you look like and all of those things. I would love to hear your perspective on insecurities. It's like everybody has them. Nowadays, I feel like there are some people discussing them. And then there's also some people that's like, fake it until you make it, act super confident and pretend like you're not insecure. Some people are naturally just very bubbly and bright that way. But I think sometimes it's like this mask that people put on um, just to kind of hide that they're hurting and that certain things bother them. So what's your perspective on that? And kind of looking back, are there similar things that you're still working through? Or is it like, yeah, I really struggled with body image or comparison or this and that in my late teens and early 20s. And now I'm, yes, there's still things that I'm insecure about, but it's completely different. Like, let's just have a whole conversation about this. I have a ton of compassion for y'all growing up in your teens and 20s with social media. It is something that I'm thankful, you know, we bypassed. However, as a 35 year old, I still have moments where I'm comparing, you know, and I think it's really important, you know, social media is not going anywhere, but I think it's really important to just garner this awareness around this thing that is ever present in your life and learn how to create, and I know this word overused, but really healthy boundaries with it because when you're lost in that loop of comparison, going through the feed, seeing what other people are doing, where they are in their life, what you wish you were doing or what you realize you wish you would be doing because you're seeing it on a feed, it's taking you away from recognizing and honoring your true gifts and leaning into them. Very often I forget what my true gifts are because I'm thinking more about how other people are leveraging their gifts and how I should probably be doing more of what they're doing. And it's just not true. So that's why like, I'll always go back to, are you finding that like quiet within yourself to really recognize and honor those parts of you that you're like, yeah, that's my genius. That's my, that's my gift. How can I bring more of that into the world? And even if you just for 20 minutes in the morning journal on that or something like that, you'll be reminded and you'll be less likely to forget in those moments when you're kind of caught in the scroll or, you know, out socially or wherever you are. But it's something that I constantly have to check myself on. I'm on like a IG hiatus right now. I'm going to come back next week, but I already am like, okay, what are like, what are my parameters around being on and how I approach it and just how I'm creating and how I catch that thought that kind of takes me down and gets me out of my creative flow. So yeah, I really, I really feel for, for you guys because it is so intense and I think you have an incredible innate awareness that you can totally leverage to not make it something that controls you and affects you so deeply. That's great. And then also you briefly mentioned setting those boundaries and you said taking a break from social media, which honestly, if nobody's done it, there, there'll be some resistance. It's interesting because even me, I'm like, I'm not on it that much. I really just use it for my podcast. 
and there's resistance. It's like, oh, I want to go look at this or, oh, why am I clicking on Instagram? So it's something helpful, I think, just to notice. But what are some other helpful boundaries in terms of like reminding you of your worth? If you feel like you are stuck in that comparison, is it going through who you follow? Is it limiting time? Is it taking time off? Like, what are some things that you found helpful in that? I think for me, I had one recently where I can do tools and resources, but I guess I just want to share this insight where I would see people. And I think TikTok is like the definition of that online that I would perceive their content to not be valuable. And I would be confused as to why they had a big following or they were popular or they were successful. I'm like, they're just sharing a picture of their latte. Like, how is that possible that they have millions or, you know, it just seems so easy And I had this thought where I was like, okay, well, if I perceive what they're doing to be easy and that they're putting in no effort, then if I'm putting in effort, then mine has to eventually succeed because no effort, succeeding, effort, succeeding. And so I just had to rethink like if I'm perceiving that other people are not doing as much or trying or that they're not providing value and I perceive myself to provide value, then I must eventually succeed if I'm providing value. But also really looking at myself when I'm kind of having that judgment because that's not always a good place to be. Um, but I think for people, if they're kind of in the mode of comparison and they find their self, themselves comparing a lot, focusing on your own life in the certain ways where it's outside of the point of comparison as possible. So what I mean by that is that say you spend 20 minutes a day on your phone and you're comparing or an hour a day on your phone comparing. Yes, it's easy to say to you, don't get on your phone and don't compare, but it's like, that's kind of the whole point. So what can we do to sort of crowd that out and add more practices in your day-to-day life that are going to help you feel more confident and better in your better in your body or better in you know your life right now? So that could be more sleep. That could be more water. That could be more nourishing foods. That could be more deep conversations. That could be better relationships. You know, those are hard things to achieve, but like, what can you do in your every single day? That's going to make you feel better overall so that you feeling better is going to help you not reach for the phone and compare. Cause I know for me, I mostly compare or find myself comparing if I'm in a state where I'm feeling insecure about my own life, or I'm feeling like, you know, my life isn't going the way that I want. And it's almost like my brain is looking for the confirmation of the thought that I'm not enough or that I'm not special or that, you know, I'm not beautiful or whatever the things are. So how can we build up the positive thoughts and momentum and not really even focus on comparison, but just crowd it out by building up your self-esteem so much that you don't go searching for things to compare yourself to. That's really beautiful. And then for both of you, I think it's always a good question to ask, but how do you personally build self-esteem? Because I think that's another thing that everybody talks about. They're like, just be confident, just build self-esteem, build in the practices that make you feel good. But then it's like, okay, how do you do that? Yeah, it's a great question. And I think one that will evolve as you evolve. I think for me these days, it's incredibly important that I'm feeling physically good first because I notice that my mental health will take a toll when I'm just feeling off in my body. So to handle that foundation, it usually means nourishing my body first thing in the morning, what does that look like? It could look different for everyone, but for me, it's having like a beautiful tonic that, you know, has adaptogens and it's warming and it's just like really yummy and fun to make. I'll have like a healthy breakfast. 
I'll move my body. Movement is incredibly important. Even if I'm a little resistant or tired, I know even 15 minutes of movement is going to completely change the way I feel. It's moving life force. So if you're feeling stuck, stagnant, just ugh, out of sorts, try moving energy, even putting on a song you love and just shaking it out and seeing if you feel different on the other side. Um, and then I just make sure, cause this affects me physically. I have to make sure that my consumption is like super pristine. Um, if I'm, you know, scrolling through my phone early in the morning, I actually feel a little nauseous. Like, I think it's like the crick of my neck. I think it's like my eyes are looking at like, there's something about it that just makes me feel so nauseous. So I, I'm sure not to do that. And then I also love just like getting outside, looking outside, just kind of like letting my eyes wander, getting the fresh air that always makes me feel better. And then I'm able to kind of work on those mental pieces. So if things come up throughout the day, mentally and emotionally, I'm better equipped and I have more energy and strength to be able to quickly notice it, quickly pivot or tend to it. But if my physical body is not, not happening, it's really hard for me to tackle any other element. Yeah, that's so important. And it's, it's something that we often put on the back burner. I feel like, like I've been way more conscious of trying to always eat healthy and make sure that I'm not just reaching for snacks in the pantry and processed foods and trying to go to hot yoga you know, most days of the week or some sort of movement every single day is a non-negotiable, but it's like the things that are often simple, they're not all that glamorous all the time. So we're like, oh, but it would be more fun if it was some, you know, elaborate routine that looks pretty or, you know, all the things that you think there's like a secret recipe for success and feeling good. But I think it really is just going back to the basics that can really help us reset in that way. So I love that you shared that. And then final thing, I would love to touch on is something that Krista said in the beginning of the episode. And she was saying that in college, I really didn't know how to love myself. And I think self-love, it's something that's talked about a lot, but also nobody's really hit the nail on the head with it, I think, because it is kind of this elusive feeling or this elusive topic. And it's like, what the heck does that even mean? I think people know that it's not all you know, bubble baths and getting your nails done. Like, yes, that's part of it. And I think people have recognized that's not all of it, but what are some actionable things that you have found in your life experience that have helped you improve the relationship with yourself? Yeah. On this topic, we actually did a, an event with almost 30 years ago, probably 2018. And it was all about self-love and sexuality and intimacy and I remember talking in front of the room about self-love and I was like, yeah. And I was talking like bubble baths. I was talking about all the, all the things. And the speaker pulled me aside after and she goes, you know, self-love is not just like bubble baths and face masks and, you know, like wearing silk pajamas. Right. And I was like, oh my gosh, I actually don't really know that. You know, I actually didn't know that self-love was different than just actions that we do for self-care that's sort of what my understanding of self-love was, was that through self-care, you reach self-love, but self-care is just a part of the ways that we can love ourselves and the part of the ways that love can manifest, but it's actually not always self-love. 
you know, you could actually hate yourself and do bubble baths and you could actually hate yourself and do face masks. You think you're ugly and you think you need it. You know, there's a lot of different reasons why we could be doing the self-care things and not all of them are because we love ourselves. So the act of loving ourselves, you know, what I love is Jenna, one of our friends that we were talking about says to first, to love yourself, you must first like yourself. And so when we move from a place of like self-hate or self-loathing or, you know, where we aren't talking to ourselves very nicely and we try to go all the way to loving ourselves, it's almost fake and hard to achieve. That's why, you know, social media and the world of social media being like, love yourself, just like, you know, let go, who cares? Like blah, blah, blah. It's like, that's actually very, very, very hard to not care what anyone thinks about you and to just love yourself overnight. It doesn't happen just by a decision. You know, it can be, it's usually through small actions. So how can we move closer to liking ourselves, to um, not judging ourselves, to being kind to ourselves, or maybe even having um, neutral self-talk instead of negative self-talk? You know, not going to like, I fucking love you. You're the best. You're amazing. You're all these things. It's like, how can we just go to like, okay, I saw that I did that thing again. That usually triggers me, but it happens. And how do we move closer to just like a space of being more present with the thoughts that we have? And I think for my journey of self-love, the reason why I didn't love myself was because I wasn't aware of my thoughts. I wasn't really aware that I had thoughts. I thought I was a human that existed in my mind and everything I was thinking was the truth. And now I know that my thoughts aren't true and my thoughts come and go. My emotions aren't true. My emotions come and go. And that doesn't define who I am as a soul or who I am as a being. And so being able to meditate and really pull apart my thoughts so that I could look at them and understand what they were doing and understand what they're saying was the most transformational thing for my self-love journey. Because then I could see myself being like, Oh, you're going to eat that dessert again. You know, we know what happens when you eat dessert. You don't receive love when you eat dessert or we know, or it could be something like, he's probably not going to call you, you know, you're not really like worth it. He's probably not going to end up calling you. And before that would happen. And I would think that was the truth instead of questioning that thought or that pattern. And so I think meditation is the biggest step that people could take to self-love, being able to sit with yourself being able to give yourself a chance, being able to look at your thoughts critically and really understand why you're thinking it and how you can really shift those thoughts to being things that are more neutral and then eventually move to greater self-love. Um, I don't love myself all the time. That's for sure. I think that's part of the human experience. I don't know any human who probably loves themselves all the time, but I know that I am loved by a God that is you know, good and a God that loves me. And that's what I can really just try and understand and really work with. That's so beautiful. And, you know, not all your thoughts are true is like one of my biggest lessons, Wild. honestly, in high mm -hmm. school. And, you know, somebody said to me the other day, um, just because you have feelings, it doesn't mean that something's wrong with you. It doesn't mean that you're mental. It doesn't mean like all of these things. I think, you know, like it's great that mental health is being talked about too, but I think there is still such a stigma that like, oh, well, if you're feeling anxious, you're going to have anxiety for life or whatever the thing is. And it's like, there's nothing wrong with you just because you have feelings. And that's honestly a hard pill to swallow. I think for a lot of people, because we're conditioned to think that feeling certain feelings are bad and that we shouldn't express ourselves fully or it's bad to cry around other people, or you should always hold everything in. And it's like all these old stories that both of those things, your thoughts and your feelings intersect with. So I love that you shared that. 
Yeah. The self-love piece is, um, something I'm wondering, like, are we kind of going to like, let that shift or morph in our, in our zeitgeist? Cause it, it can be kind of deceiving on like what that, what that actually is. And I think what I've come to realize is, or kind of make sense of it is that there is like, there is a capital S self, you know, there's the soul that I have gotten to know more deeply that I really do love. And there are like aspects of me, the human, the ego, whatever that I'm like, don't love that as much. But I do know that I can kind of come back to the soul part of me, check in with her and kind of reckon with those other parts a little bit that's been helpful in my self-love process. And I also wanted to know what Krista was describing with like questioning those thoughts. It made me think about our conversation with uh, Byron Katie on the podcast. She has a book called Loving What Is, and that's a part of her, the work, her process is like questioning those thoughts so that they don't become this like final heavy you know, identity statement. And it's, it's super, super helpful. That sounds amazing. I'll definitely link that episode in the show notes, along with all of Krista and Lindsay's contact information and all their fun socials and the podcast. Um, but the last question that I ask everybody is my signature question. And my tagline for the podcast is tune in and shine out. So it's two parts. And the first is how do you tune in? So how do you really get centered and grounded so that way you know that you can go out in your day and really function like as the true you. How do you show up in the world as the true you? I would say for me, my the way that I tune in is through prayer. And prayer for me could just be attention setting for other people or conversation with the universe or the creator or God. Um, but I think that's like the greatest way that I tune in because then I can quiet the mind quiet the body and focus on what my heart is saying, focus on what my mind is saying, and then really listen, you know, if there's any messages or anything for me. So I'd say prayer. I love that. What about you, Lindsay? Yeah, prayer is definitely a part of my practice, but I would say it's super helpful for me to get into my body because I feel like I actually receive messages through my body and I just receive them more clearly. So that could be just like waking up and like feeling my body and like giving myself like a little massage and just kind of connecting in that way. It could be moving. It could be a walk, but that really helps to, for me to quiet the mind. It like allows the chatter to drop from like here down to my heart space and just kind of live a little bit deeper, which is really, really helpful for me to be able to tune in. Yeah, those are both really powerful practices. And then the second part is how do you shine out? What does it look like when you are showing up fully and truly in the world? I would say for me, how do I shine out? I think laughing or making people laugh. I love to be goofy. I love to take a risk and say a joke that could be a little risky. I love to just be present in the moment, whatever could be potentially funny or be fun. And so I really love to just be in presence of joy and play and laughter. I think being in, in that is my most shining moment or the way I feel the most shiniest. I love that. Um, 
Yeah, I think it's, I think for me, like at a base level, it's just being myself in a relationship with friends, with my husband, with my family. Like I, when I'm able to be really present and really be myself, whatever that is in that moment, I feel like I'm shining. If I have to dim, if I have to kind of do this weird mental gymnastics, I just, yeah, I don't, I don't don't think any of us would. I don't really feel like myself. So if I'm able to just be and drop in and just let it hang loose, I'm definitely uh, down to shine. Well, thank you so much to both of you for coming on the podcast. This has been really a dream of mine from the beginning. You two are always people that I've wanted to chat with. And I know that this episode will help so many young women tuning in. So thank you so much for your time. And where can everyone find and connect with both of you? Well, you did such an amazing job. Your questions were super thoughtful. You were just so well-paced. You were so confident. You were so heartfelt. You were such a great listener. And it was such a pleasure for Lindsay and I to be here and to work with you. So thank you so much. It's been an honor. We're so proud to be connected with women like you doing amazing things in the world. Um, and we're so grateful for all the ways you've supported us. It it really, it really means a lot. If you want more from Almost 30, you can go to almost30.com, Almost 30 podcast on TikTok and Instagram. Pretty groovy there. And we have a podcast called Morning Microdose, which is five to 10 minutes. And it's like the best of the best clips from almost 30 that you can listen to at any time of the day without ads or interruption. Thank you, Haley. We appreciate you so, so much. It was a blast to hang. And I just have so much hope. And it's exciting to meet someone like you at your age who has so much awareness and insight and drive to grow. It's really, really nice. Thank you so, so much.